HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please send Mashiach now. Well, I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of my podcast today. This is a little sneak peek, well, not really sneak peek, I guess, but a preview, sampler, uh, hors d'oeuvre, if you will, of next week's Torah portion called Naso, which means to lift or to bear like a burden. And um, this is basically from uh, chapter five uh, in the book of Numbers, uh, specifically the the main point of what I'm going to be, with the help of Hashem, speaking about. And uh, to give you specific coordinates uh, to to be mindful of, it is specifically Numbers chapter five or seven that says that person is to confess the sin he has committed, make full restitution for his wrong, add one fifth to it and give it to the one he wronged. So there's this understanding when it comes to uh, confessing our sins that, you know, it has to be a verbal expression as well as it has to be um, you, you form the words with your mind and that comes out of the overflow of your heart because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? But our brain helps us to articulate words and things like that. And so you have this this heart and mouth confession thing like Romans 10, 9. And normally when we think about Romans 10, 9, we're thinking about it in context of becoming a believer when that's actually not really the precedent. The precedent of confession is actually about forgiveness of sin. And really the precedent for becoming a believer is literally about repenting and confessing from your sin. So a person who becomes a believer literally is a person who is confessing and repenting of sin. So it's beyond actually saying that I want to go from being a non-believer, an atheist, or an idolater, or a pagan, whatever you want to put in the blank, to like, oh, I bless the name of the Lord now, and I live for him, and I'm changed, I'm a new creation, I've been transformed, I've been renewed. Okay, so like, that's commonly how it's taught, but that's actually not really what it is. And uh, again, if we go to this passage in Romans chapter 10, which, by the way, is a letter that uh, the apostle Shaul wrote to uh, the congregation in Rome that became converts, by the way, to Judaism because of what happened in Acts chapter 2. I have a whole series called A Garret to the Romans. I started out with a introduction preface where I kind of go through the background and then I went uh, through the chapters verse by verse, breaking everything down. Uh, the first few uh, episodes I was with uh, a gentleman by the name of Ari, and uh, he is one of our Avengers who is Neri Arok. So Ari Shlita, which means may he have a long and blessed life. Amen. Uh, Shlita is an acronym for that phrase in Hebrew. So 
Speaking of him, uh, him and I were working together going through it, and uh, he was like, okay, you can take it from here, and um, and of course, I'm continuing on it now, so just now getting into, uh, I believe, chapter four, so uh, that's exciting. So anyway, so there's a whole lot to really, you know, dive in if you want to, if you're interested in that, because... As I'm speaking about Romans now, it's important to note that this part is not disjointed from the beginning. And as you read through the letters, sometimes we forget how they start. So it's always good to remember how things started. And really, if you want to zoom out, it's it's really important to not forget how the Bible started. Many people start reading the Bible from the book of John or Matthew. You know, and it's kind of like, well, you know, I get what you're trying to do there because obviously birth of Messiah, the word made flesh and all of that. But none of that will make any sense unless you start from Genesis chapter one and you need to have what's called a Tanakh or what's called a Humash so that you can get even more understanding, because if you don't have either of those a Tanakh or a Humash, then you won't get a full understanding of what's actually going on because the only reason the texts are written about the Messiah is because of what's called the Oral Torah, which is everything that we did not get in written form that Hashem, like the Lord God, uh, in Hebrew, by the way, I should clear this up now for those of you who may be new to this, uh, that Hashem is in Hebrew literally stands for the name. And the four letter Hebrew name, the Yod and He and Vav and He, those are the those are what those letters are called. First letter is a Yod. Again, we're going from right to left, so you see the name the Lord. Uh people like to call it Yah da 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 da, you know, and put other things to it or call him J, you know, and go from there. And it's like, okay, there are no J's in Hebrew. Uh, there's no W's and it's like all this different stuff. So anyway, uh, there's a lot to that, but in the Jewish mind, we understand that we don't pronounce Hashem's name the same way we don't pronounce our parents' name. Like how many of us go up to our parents and call them by their first name? Uh, now when you get older, maybe that kind of laxes, but I don't know. It's still in my household anyway. I still don't call my mother by her first name, you know, or my father, by the way, it's just kind of one of those respect things. So it's the same way with Hashem. So we say Hashem, which literally means ha, which is the, and Shem is name. So when you say Hashem, you're saying the name. And by the way, when we say the name, the reason why we say that, we're saying the name that's above all other names. Now, that's kind of interesting because we know, okay, the Messiah, Yeshua. We say, well, Yeshua is the name. Commonly, people call him Jesus. But by the way, that name only exists because the letter J got introduced to the Hebrew or to the English language back in like the 1600s. And that came from Latin which the, the J had more of a Y sound. And furthermore, that was derived from the Greek, which was translated from Hebrew, 
minus a letter. So you have this distillation of the Messiah's actual name when you try to call him Jesus because you're like four steps removed. And again, when you change up letters and um, change up sounds and things like that, you actually change the fabric of that name. So if you translate your name, you know, into a different language, you know, it doesn't mean the same thing that it means in that other language. You know, so also submit to the table that other deities that have names that are native to the specific tongue in which that deity is worshipped, you know, like Shmuda, like uh, Shmala, you know, and things like that. Um, we don't ever translate their names. We we say them exactly like they are. But yet when it comes to the Messiah Yeshua, it's like, well, Yeshua is too hard. And so we'll change his name to something else. So, again, thinking that that name is the name above all other names. Did you know that Yeshua is a common name, uh, especially in the first century when the Messiah Yeshua was walking the earth? So how is it that his name is greater than all other names? Well, that's because the Messiah, his name is the name of Hashem. He gets the four-letter name imbued upon him. So uh, there's a, a source called the Midrash Tankuma that brings that down. Uh, the Zohar also brings this down. And this is commentary on the Messiah being called the Lord our righteousness from the writings of Jeremiah. So there's a whole lot to source that out, but that's beyond the scope of this podcast. I can definitely, with the help of Hashem, go more into that. But just to let us know, all know the Messiah is called by the name of Hashem. And so that's how his name is above all other names, because the name Hashem, literally the name, that name is above all other names. So there's something to uh, to start off with. OK, uh, <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how to really get into this topic, because today I want to speak about healing repentance and salvation and again i'm launching out from romans chapter 10 and uh trying to put this all together and by the way i want to shout out to my co-worker who i call by the name of levi yahoo shlita so may he have a long and blessed life amen uh levi yahoo is the avenger he's the shomer version of ninja gaiden so uh, we talked about what if all the superheroes had this like um, alternate version of them that were actually like believers in covenant with God, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah. So, you know, we can have instead of Captain America being Captain Israel, the Incredible Hulk will now be the Incredible Talmud, which translates as disciple. And, uh, you know, then we'll have instead of Iron Man, we'll have Shomer Man. You know, and haha, that's me. But anyway, so anyway, the, the list goes on. So just again, as a brief introduction here, but uh, Levi Yahoo's actual name is Yeshiyahu. The the Hebrew of that is uh, translated into English as Isaiah. So get you some. I love calling him Yeshiyahu because when you understand what Isaiah really means, when you go back to the native way that it's actually said 
as Yeshiyahu, it literally means the salvation of God is sure. So here we are with with a name that's talking about the sure the sureness and the certainty of the salvation of Hashem. So I don't know about you, but I think that's a really cool name to be called by. It's like, hey, salvation is sure. How are you today? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to be redeemed. Oh, it's a good reminder. So let me talk to you some more so I can be reminded that we're going to be saved. <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's why I, I am uh, sharing these insights, because him and I got into a conversation about healing, repentance, and salvation. And I thought I'd share with everyone because this is a really, really powerful topic. So, Romans 10, verse 9, if we read it in context, let's go back a little bit. Start with verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith speaks in this way. So, righteousness is an off like it's a offshoot or it's a, a outflow of faith the person who has faith will be a person who is said to walk in righteousness and what is faith faith is not just a belief but it's the action of that belief like we have faith that if we get in the street and there's traffic we will get hit and we will get injured uh or shalom, we would die you know kind of thing that you know, it could get it could escalate very quickly depending on how you get hit. So therefore, since we know that there's imminent danger of getting in the street, our faith is we don't get in traffic. So it's like I believe that I will get hurt. So therefore, I don't proceed to play in the street where there's traffic. So the same thing with faith, that if we believe in God, we actually do God as weird as that sounds because remember the word of god is god and again we learn this from genesis chapter one which is also john chapter one you know that's why they both start out the same in the beginning and then there's a whole topic on that so now that we got that established that uh the righteousness based on faith speaks in this way do not say in your heart who will go up into heaven, that is to bring the Messiah down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring the Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Hashem and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, which, by the way, the word saved comes from the word uh, Shava, which is all about deliverance and crying out, which is the root of Hoshia, which means to save. And it's also the root of Yeshua, which means to deliver. So we're talking about confessing Yeshua so that we receive Yeshua. Okay, because the name Yeshua is the same word as saved. So that's kind of the first thing. So in order for you to be saved, you have to profess saving like the salvation, salvation and save like they're working hand in hand together, 
kind of the way that Yeshua and being saved works hand in hand together, pun intended, because Yeshua is the right hand of God. The right hand of God is what saves us, by the way. And we're going to learn a lot about that uh, continuing on in our insights here. So, confession and salvation is that step of repentance. Because it says that you're confessing and you're confessing what you're believing in your heart. And then in verse 10, it says, for with the heart, it is believed for righteousness. So your heart is going to be in your faith, which is what you confessed, which is now going to lead you into righteousness. And it is with the mouth that it is confessed for salvation. Verse 11 says, for the scripture says, whoever puts his trust in him will not be put to shame. Remember, who is Yeshua? He is the name of Hashem, which is the word of God, and that is made flesh. And that's who we're professing. So literally, we're professing, we receive the right hand of God that will reach out to us and that will be outstretched for us and that saves us. So then it goes on to say, would not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all richly generous to all who call upon him for everyone who calls upon the name of Hashem, which is another way that we say Adonai as well. Adonai and Hashem are working the same way, uh, both meaning Lord, God, master, ruler of the universe. And it says, so if we call upon the name of Hashem, which would be calling up on Yeshua, which is the right hand of God that saves us, the word of God, the name of God, who is going to be called Hashem, which is the four letter name of Hashem. So there's all that. And then it says, how then shall they call on the one whom they have not trusted? And how shall they trust in the one they have not heard of and how shall they hear without someone proclaiming and how shall they proclaim unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news of good things but not all heeded the good news for yes for yeshiyahu says hashem who has believed our report so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Mashiach, which is Messiah. So, and he goes on and continues, but it's important to know these are all passages that are in the Tanakh, okay, and the Humash, by the way. The Tanakh is basically Genesis through Malachi, okay, it encapsulates that whole section. People normally call it the Old Testament, but that's actually a uh, another topic for another time, <laughs> because the way that the Bible was uh, organized is actually uh, organized by the men of the Great Assembly, who are people like Zerubbabel, Zechariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Mordecai, Daniel, just to name a few people. Uh, there was 120 of these individuals, and this is after the Babylonian exile. This is returning back into the land. And they said, you know, this is what the Bible will be. So anytime you hear scripture mentioned in the Bible, 
because now we think the Bible is a 66 book canon, you know, consisting of an Old and a New Testament. But actually, the Bible is only up to Malachi. And if you get a Tanakh, you'll see that it's actually Chronicles, that it goes from Genesis to Chronicles, because there's a different arrangement that is actually arranged by Torah, first five books, prophets, which is like the Yeshayahu, the Yehezkel, the Isaiah, the Ezekiel, you know, all that. And then you have what's called the writings. This is like the uh, Ecclesiastes and this is uh, the Proverbs, you know, and and the Psalms. So you arrange, there's a different arrangement and it's called the Tanakh, which is an acronym for Torah, Prophets, and Writings. So that's why it looks a little different, but it's literally Genesis through Malachi, if you have a layman's term uh, for the Bible. So that's actually what's called the Holy Scripture. So when you hear the apostles talk about as it is written in the scripture, just like we read here in Romans 10, we're actually talking about the Torah, the, the prophets and the writings. So if you look at uh, verse six, going all the way down to uh, verse eight, that's in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And then if you look at, you know, verse 11 here, Romans 10, 11, it says, for the scripture says, and that is a passage from Yeshayahu, which is from the prophets. So again, scripture is the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Now, just because the gospels or acts or any of the letters of the apostles and even revelation to put into the mix just because these aren't scripture doesn't mean that they're invalid or that we don't follow them or that we shouldn't listen to them. But we should understand that these are outflows of what's called scripture. So anyway, I know there's a lot to really kind of say law on, but we have to keep moving because there's a lot of information to speak about with healing, repentance and salvation. I really want to title this podcast HRS, like hours, because <laughs> you could talk about this subject for hours. But really, hours H for uh, healing, R for repentance, and S for salvation. So we have this whole thing about confession, and we know that when we confess, it's a confession of our sin, which is going to bring salvation. So your confession and your repentance are going to actually bring you to what's called salvation, which is being saved. So again, when you see that Shaul normally called Paul, uh, he is writing to these new converts and letting them know that, you know, your confession is actually repentance and forgiveness of sin to bring you into salvation. So, that's the first thing up. All right. So now we're going to go ahead and first we need to look at the name of Hashem. Okay. If you can Google or look up a, a Hebrew alphabet chart, this would be the time to do that. There are 22 letters and then some charts, depending on what you have, they have uh, extra letters that are like really tall. And those are called the final form or so feet letters. And those are 
letters that are in the previous 22 that actually are the uh, the end form. So if you write out a Hebrew word and whatever letter is at the end, sometimes there's a, a way that you write it because it's at the end of the word as opposed to at the beginning or in the middle. So anytime there's a different form of the letter at the end, it's called a final form or a sophie form. So that's why you may see more than 22 letters depending on what chart you pull up. But anyway, Hashem's name, if you look at the name of the letters, he has the Yod, the Hey, the Vav, and then another Hey. So literally Hashem's, <clears throat> Slika, Hashem's name is actually three letters, but one of the letters is doubled. That's the letter Hey. And the letter Hey is consisted of um, what we're going to talk about here. So what I'm going to read from is called the Book of Letters. Normally I call it Sefer Otiot, which is how you say Book of Letters. And so this breaks down the meaning of each letter. And the author of this is Lawrence Kushner. So if you're wanting to look up uh, the Hebrew letters and get some understanding about them. This would be your, this would be a good starting. The other one is the wisdom of the Hebrew letters. And, uh, I believe that one is by Ginsburg. So let me double check that for you real quick. Wisdom of the Hebrew letters. Oh, by Rabbi Monk. Yeah. Rabbi Monk will be that one. So that's a good one too. If you, uh, if you're wanting to look at that wisdom of the Hebrew letters, I was going to see if I can get a picture of the cover and it's just skitzing out on me. So ain't nobody got time for that. All right. So the letter hey, because this really uh, corresponds to what we're going to talk about today. So again, I wanted to talk about this first because why are there two hey's in the name of Hashem? Well, there's there's an understanding that there are levels of heaven. There's levels of worlds above the one that we're in. So sometimes you will hear about the Lord of all worlds you know, the master of the universe and then in the heavenlies, God rules and things like that. So um, there's a the first hey and the sequence of Hashem's name represents the higher worlds. And then the final hey represents this world. So you have this world and the higher worlds is kind of a correlation of what we're talking about here. And I know that that again, that's beyond the scope of what I'm really trying to get into, but I just want to point out some of these things as I see them. So in Sefer OTO about the letter Hey, it says that the letter Hey is composed of two letters. First, there is a Dalit, which is the fourth of the Hebrew letters, by the way. Dalit is how you say door in Hebrew. And if you remember the Messiah saying, I am the door, people enter in through me, you know, I'm the sheep's gate, you know, uh, no man comes to the father except through the son. Like that's all Dalit talk. 
So in the letter Hey, which is a part of Hashem's name, you have this aspect of door. And then it says in the lower left hand corner of the Dalits space, there is a Yod. So you see the letter Dalit and you take the letter Yod and put it underneath that kind of roof of the Dalit. And now you have the letter Yod, which, by the way, is how you say hand in Hebrew. You say Yod. Yod and Yod are spelled the same way. You just change the vowel sounds. And so the hand is in the door. Okay? So that has to do with the letter Hey. And it goes on to say here that God created two worlds. This one and the world to come, there is a tradition. So, you know, the afterlife, the resurrection, heaven, which, by the way, will be on earth in Israel. So that's something to take note of. But anyway, uh, you can just read the later chapters of Ezekiel and you'll find that out. So surprise, if anyone didn't know that already. Spoiler alert, heaven is going to be brought to earth. Right now, it's basically, it's in a different dimension. That's why if you keep flying in outer space, you'll just keep seeing creation because heaven is outside of creation as we can see it. But anyway, there's a lot that's going to transpire when the resurrection happens, when the Messiah returns and all that. There's going to be all sorts of stuff, which is not really anything new because that happened in Exodus 19. Uh, there was a, a uh, unification of all of the dimensions, all of the worlds. Uh, because, you know, uh, science has just found out, which Torah has already known, but that there are at least 10 dimensions and we only know about four of them. Uh, and we, yeah. So anyway, I get more into that, but again, that's beyond the scope of this podcast. <laughs> Be a lot of that tonight. Okay. So says that there's a tradition that he created this one with the letter, Hey, and the one to come with the letter Yod. So if you think about it, you have a hey and you have a Yod. And these are the first two letters of Hashem's four-letter name, which is the name that is given to the Messiah. And again, we're talking about the name above all other names. So if you just look at these two letters, you have a Yod and you have a hey. Well, it just so happens that the letter Yod is the first letter in the name of Yeshua. And the letter Hey is the first letter in the name Ha-Mashiach, which means the Messiah. Yeshua, the Messiah in Hebrew, the way you say that is Yeshua Hamashiach. Yeshua Hamashiach. And that literally is the first two letters of Hashem's name as an acronym. So you can already see that Yeshua HaMashiach, like the, the Yeshua, the Messiah is found in Hashem. So if you look at the name of Hashem, you're seeing the Messiah in him, which should not be any surprise to us because did not the Messiah say, I come in the name of the one who sent me, you know, and then, um, I don't speak in my name, but in the name of he who sent me, you know, all of those different drops. And again, we're talking about the word of God made flesh. The Messiah is literally the word of God, which is made flesh. And the word of God is none other than the name of Hashem. It's actually a bunch of Hashem's names. 
Hashem has at least 72 names. And there are, there are way more than that, but again, you learn this in Judaism, so you study these things out and you'll you'll find it. If you have if you have that Humash or that Tanakh, they'll get into that as you start reading about it. But anyway, just want to point that out that there there's this world and then there's the world to come. Which is why when, when the time for this world to end uh, and everything will be made over new again, as Peter writes about in his letter, he says that the heavens and the earth will be renewed by fire. Well, what is that fire? That fire is none other than the word of God, because we find out that the word of God in Deuteronomy and from Jeremiah, that the word of God is called consuming fire. So that fire is actually going to renew the heavens and the earth. So that's that part going on to say, and why is, or, and why this world with the letter, Hey, so why was this world created with the letter? Hey, says, because like this world, it is easy to fall out of the bottom. So you ever think about, you know, having, uh, you hit rock bottom, you go through uh, low points in your life and things like that. The bottom drops out, you know, someone pulls the rug out from under you. It feels like you've gotten the wind knocked out of you or things like that. Well, that happens in this world, which is all about the letter Hey. So part of Hashem, his name, which would express his essence, his identity, is that you know, he has within him the the grasp and the understanding that sometimes we fail. Sometimes we go through rough spots and sometimes life is just, it's brutal. You know, we, we bottom out, we hit rock bottom, we fall in a pit, you know, things like that. So it should not be any surprise to us that the Messiah experienced that, you know, that he he came in the form of a slave and subjected himself to death. So he went through hardship. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was killed, you know, uh, just tortured and all sorts of just heavy stuff. So a lot of us feel like we've had difficult lives, but, you know, how many of us have really undergone, you know, the torments of crucifixions and betrayal and all that put together in one one 24-hour period. Let's put it that way. You know, and to live your whole life knowing that it's going to culminate in this as a turning point for all of creation. You know, and again, the Messiah, he lived a life innocent, spotless, blameless, no sin whatsoever. You know, which is, again, that's that's another feat in and of itself. And to know that all of that is to say that, hey, now you're going to have to experience the most horrible thing that a human being could ever experience. Many of us, we go through horrible things, but we also have done horrible things. But it's a whole different thing. I mean, to say that, well, I haven't done anything horrible, but I have to go through something horrible. And again, remember, things horrible is sin. You know, sometimes we don't we don't think of sin being horrible, but we we have to understand sin is very very horrible. 
it doesn't seem horrible to us because we don't see the full effects of it. If we could see into the spiritual world what our sins do, we would not be able to sleep for at least 25 weeks, if not more. So no matter if it's what we call little white lies or killing somebody or whatever you want to say, fill in blank, it it is very horrible. So anyway, the hay is about this world and it's easy to fall out the bottom. And so to finish up with this point, it says, and also like this world, there is always a tiny space just between the left leg and the roof. So as always to permit another entrance, say roof. And then I need you to say another entrance. All right. And then the last statement that this says, this is repentance. All right. So repentance is turning from sin, confessing, that you've sinned, whatever that sin is, confessing that specifically, you know, and if you have a list, which most of us do, uh, then you go down the list and you confess it and you ask God for deliverance from it, which is the literally the meaning of calling upon the name of Yeshua. Now, we just read about repentance is like falling out of the bottom and, you know, doing horrible stuff, which is sin. But yet there's a an entrance, a tiny space that's through the roof and it's considered to be another entrance. Well, wouldn't you like to know, this is what Levi Yahoo brought up to me as I was sharing another piece of insights that we're going to get into. But I want to share this story first because we're already into blue screen zone. So... Let's just go ahead and come back down before we go back into blue screen. So let's come out of blue screen for a second and go to Mark chapter two. We're going to read these 12 verses. This is what I was drop kicking in the face by, by Levi Yahoo. He says, oh yeah, this reminds me of the story of the man who was let in through the roof. And I'm like, dude, can I just share a point with you before you just go off and do all this? But anyway. Uh, that's, that's how he rolls. So, uh, I was just like, you know what? I need to make a podcast about this because people need to know about your violence and, you know, I'm going to call the police and we're going to figure out what to do with you. But until then, <laughs> I'm going to think about what you just said. Cause it's, it's really powerful. So here we go. Of course, I'm half kidding about everything, but I mean, this, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm still mind blown. I think about our conversation. And I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you, man? And he's like, no, what's wrong with you? You were the one coming up to me talking about healing and uh, repentance and salvation and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I was just sharing something I read. But anyway, just studying the Torah portion and stuff. Okay. Mark chapter two says when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was heard that he was at the house. So many were gathered there, or so many were gathered that there was no longer room for them even outside the door. Now, we're in a house and we're talking about a door. 
Remember the letter hey is about a door that the hand is resting in, right? So the Messiah, who's the hand of God, is inside the house, and there's no room to get into the door. So that means if you want to get in here, you can. You just got to use another entrance. Go figure. This account is going to talk about entering in through the roof, which this whole story the reason why this is so powerful, because this is a picture of repentance and salvation right here. And it all corresponds to a person being healed, which is what repentance and salvation does, by the way. When a person confesses and asks for forgiveness and repents, they receive healing. This is why we're called new creations, by the way, when we're quote unquote saved. So going on, it says he kept proclaiming the word to them. And again, you have to think about what word is the Messiah proclaiming to them? You know, many might say good news. Many might say, oh, himself, you know, and it's like, okay, so those are all great answers. Let's go with the option of himself. If he's proclaiming himself, that means he's proclaiming the word of God, which is the Torah, the prophets and the writings. Specifically the Torah, because everything is found in the Torah. The reason why you, we most times and popularly it's not known that all things are found in the Torah, because there is something called the oral Torah, which is missing, which is if you read the oral Torah, because it's available, you just you need to be Jewish and, and you have to like live a Jewish lifestyle in order to get it. Uh, because otherwise you think it's evil. You think it's spooky. You think it's all those Jews and their fables. Uh, but it's actually not because many things that we read, like, you know, it's permissible to heal on the Shabbat. Uh, the word of God is the image of God. Like that's all stuff from the oral Torah. And by the way, just about everything Paul says is in the oral Torah. So that's why you should get a Humash, get a Tanakh and start reading these things because you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I remember that. That's in the Gospels or that's in the letters. That's in Acts. You know, you'll start seeing these things. But again, you know, your perspective will be flawed if you think, oh, those poor Jews, they just need Jesus. Or, you know, I don't want to be Jewish. If you come into it with that mentality, you won't see a thing and you will get what you're looking for, which is nothing. Because to think that you know, the Jews are evil and the oral Torah and the Talmud and the Midrash, all of these different things that you can find in Judaism literature, that uh, if you if you have that understanding, that's what's called anti-Semitism, which is the same way that Balaam, you know, Balaam, the guy who had the donkey that spoke to him, that guy, the same way that Amalek, the one who tried to kill all the Jews in the Esther story, uh, the same way that Pharaoh, who tried to kill every single Jewish person he could, which he was half successful or mostly successful, uh, the same way that the Satan uh, believes. So you might want to check your affiliation if uh, those are your thoughts, because that's where that comes from. The Jewish mindset is how King David believed Abraham, Yeshua, Paul, Peter, John, James. They thought like Jews. 
every everyone that you read about in the Bible is is a Jew. You know, and so there's there's nothing other than that. Uh, if you profess belief in God, that makes you Jewish. And I know that's that's kind of weird because you're like, well, my mother has to be Jewish or, you know, I have to have Judaism in my family or something. It's like, no, again, the way you become Jewish is through confession, repentance and salvation. What do you think the new creation is? Because the first Jew, by the way, is Abraham. Abraham did not have a Jewish mother. Abraham did not grow up in a Jewish household. Abraham, by the way, was the son of an idol maker and seller. Uh, his Abraham's father was like one of the most respected generals in the army of King Nimrod. So, yeah, talk about that, right? So Abraham comes out of all that and is like, I believe only in Hashem and I will walk in his way, which is the Torah. The way, the truth, and the life is the Torah, by the way. So, again, you'll read that in your Humash and in your Tanakh, but you won't read that in, in the common English Bible like the NIV or the NASB. That that actual work of uh, compiled writings lacks what's called commentary from the oral Torah. So, if you get a Humash, though, and you get a Tanakh, you know, get you some of that then uh, you'll find all these things but anyway so abraham is the first jew because he turned away from idolatry and sin and death walking in affiliation with those who do the works of evil and lawlessness and say you know what i confess that i want to be in covenant with God. I want to be in relationship with him. I want to walk with him. I want to hear his voice. I want to be obedient. And God says, all right, come with me and, you know, I'll make you a, a great nation. You know, this is Genesis chapter 12. And you'll see that through this process, he goes through what's called sanctification and all of that. And he is, that's, that's a Jewish life, by the way. So there's a big transition. There's a, he goes through circumcision. Obviously he goes through the immersion, which commonly people call a baptism, but that's actually the word mikvah, which means to immerse in a body of living water. So through all of these different things, the confession, the repentance, the changing of a life and uh, circum being circumcised, having a new heart, a new mind. All of that is called conversion and that makes you a new creation. So the new creation is one who used to not do the word of God and now they do the word of God. And that starts with the confession. It's really hard to confess something if you don't believe, by the way. So this is why thinking, oh, I'm a believer. So I have to believe and then I have to confess. It's like, well, that's that's all that's all comes together. It's a package deal. So. All of that to say the word that the Messiah was proclaiming <laughs> is what's called the Tanakh. It's it's the, the Torah and the prophets, the Psalms, the writings, all of that. 
the Messiah, if you go through the Gospels and actually t- see how the Messiah speaks, he's, he always says, as it is written in the Torah, as it is written in the prophets, or if you want to use layman's terms, as it is written in the law. Okay? The Messiah always spoke about himself from that. Because why? To learn about the Messiah, you have to know the oral Torah. You have to know Talmud. You have to learn Midrash. I mean, you have to you have to learn it. You don't have to know it. You have to learn it because it's it's vast. It's like a sea of literature is literally what it is. Like you're just like you can go for days on one verse because there's that much commentary in the Talmud, you know, and the Midrash and the Humash, you know. So anyway, again, you learn these things through conversion. So if this all sounds foreign, talk to you. That's 2,000 years of Christianity. That's what happens. You All these different things that should be familiar to those who are in relationship with Hashem, it's not familiar. It's something alien. It's something foreign. So my people perish for lack of knowledge because they forgot my Torah. That's That's where that whole verse comes from. But it's time for that to change, and that's why we have Lapid Judaism. That's why we have Sar Shalom. Uh, that's why we have Avengers. That's why you have this podcast. So we're we're bringing redemption. We're bringing renewal. We're rebuilding the walls, the ancient paths, the ancient roads, making a highway in the wilderness. You know those kinds of things. So the Messiah is proclaiming the word to them, and it's super crowded. This scene, by the way, is the same scene that was at the foot. Of the mountain called Mount Sinai. Okay. Exodus 19. Exodus 24. Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 5. All of those passages. So. This is basically. A giving of the Torah. If you will. A reintroduction. So every time the Messiah taught. It was exactly that scenario. That's why it was always great crowds of people. How many people were standing at Mount Sinai? over a million okay we're talking lots and lots of people it said that there were 600,000 men there now you do the math because how many men were married maybe not all of them but let's say a majority of them most of them had children okay and then you expound from there and then you have a whole bunch of people who joined this crowd that left Egypt after all the plagues. And those people weren't counted in the numerology or in the uh, the total account for people that were there. So, yeah. So you quickly see how this, this begins to be a big, big mass of people. So as the Messiah is always crowded with a bunch of people until he says something that the crowd doesn't like and then they go away, it's pretty much like Mount Sinai all the time. So, anyway, going on, it says, Some people came bringing a paralyzed man carried by four men. So you have a paralyzed man. He can't walk. So he's got four homeboy homeboys carrying him. Which brings to mind the Ark. Yes, the Ark of the Covenant. That was carried with four people. So... I don't know. I just think about that. That just flashed into my mind. So I just thought I'd share. Maybe Hashem will give illumination with that. But anyway, 
paralyzed man carried by four people. And it says, when they couldn't get near Yeshua because of the crowd, they removed the roof where he was. Now, remember the Messiah is the Yod. He is the hay, right? And then the hay has a roof and they remove the roof to get to the Yod, which is the Messiah. So, yeah, we're looking at a picture of repentance here because remember, you can't you you fell out the bottom. There's no way to get in. So you have to look for another entrance, even if it's through the roof. That is repentance. Remember, we just read that Sefer Otiot. Going on to say that uh, that, by the way, takes a lot of ambition. You know, like you you really got to work for that. It's like, all right, we got a paralyzed guy. We got to get him to the roof and then we got to dig through the roof to get to where Yeshua is, you know, like, think about that, which by the way, is what happens with your confession, with your repentance, uh, and all of that, that, that is, that's the working that you do. You have to work to get yourself to that point. You know, you have to think about what did I do? Why did I do it? You know, I don't want to do that again. I want to actually live for God. I want to be connected with him. I want to be close to him. I want to be in him, you know, and things like that. I want to be renewed, you know, restoring to me the joy of my salvation. Give me a new heart and a new mind. Create a clean and upright spirit within me. You know, these things, they take work. Just like these individuals, they're working to get their friend on the roof. Now to them, they're like, well, I want this guy to be healed. He's paralyzed and we know the Messiah can heal. But what Leviyahu was pointing out, is that think about what was going on in the heart of the man who was paralyzed, because what does the Messiah say to this man? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say anything about healing. He said, your sins are forgiven. So on this individual's heart is I need to confess my sin. I need to repent so that I can be healed. So the Yeshua is speaking to the heart while the friends are worried about the physical and external because why only God knows what's on the heart. Everybody around us can think they know what's on our heart, but only God truly knows. We have outward expressions like, Oh, you look sad. And it's like, well, actually I'm not sad. I'm just really tired. So my face, my, my, uh, my emojis are not working right now, <laughs> you know? And it's like, okay, so Yeshua. Okay. Anyway, I, I skipped ahead, but I just got excited. Again, Leviyahu pointed that out to me, and I was, I just wanted to throw myself across the floor because I was just like, what are you saying? Anyway, they dug through the roof. After digging through, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. Yeshua, seeing their faith. Now, remember, faith is confessed right it's expressed with the heart and with the mouth and what does faith lead to it leads to righteousness which is what the doing the the outward flow of what happens when you do something so they're showing their faith they believe that the messiah can heal so they're making that happen they're like we need to get to him we know he can heal so we're going to bring our friend over here so Yeshua says, oh, that's faith right there. Okay, I see faith. I'm about to bring some salvation. 
Because why, when you confess, when you believe, you experience salvation? Because that's your faith. So if you really think about this for a second, what we commonly try to think about as is commonly taught in the world today by predominantly Christianity, the church, that in order to be saved, you have to confess and believe with your mouth and you have to ask God to forgive you and you have to be delivered from your sin and all that, right? Okay, so here's the deal that we're sinners like a lot. And if we say we're not sinners, then the writings of John take care of that for us and says, if a person says they're without sin, you're to call that person a liar. <laughs> it's just like, John, could you go easy on us for a second? No. Uh, okay. Thought I'd ask, I guess. Uh, all right. <laughs> now remember who John is, right? He's the most beloved. He's called the beloved T Talmud disciple, the beloved disciple. And he goes, yeah, if a person says they're not a sinner, they're a liar. It's like, could you calm down? That escalated quickly. So anyway, so we're all sinners, right? So the thing is that we're supposed to confess that sin. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to jump over to that passage. We got to read that in context. This is 1 John uh, eight, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. It says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, i.e. Hashem, i.e. God, i.e. the Lord Almighty. We make him a liar and his word, i.e. the Messiah, the, the right arm of God that can save us from our sin. His word is not in us. So we have no part in Messiah if we say that we're not sinners. We divorce ourselves from God and we we are not saved if we say, oh, yeah, I've expressed my I've expressed my belief in God and I got saved 40 years ago, you know, living for the Lord ever since. It's like if you have that mentality, you've completely missed the train by like a long shot on this because it says that you have to confess your sin. And you have a lot of sin going on. So even if you've been saved before, you got to get saved again. Because the moment you sin, again, a, what's called a horrible thing, you completely you, you completely sever yourself away from God. It's called breaking of the fellowship. So your attachment is, is uh, strained, for lack of better terms, if you sin. And again, we, we all sin. So what what has to happen? Okay, when we sin, as it says here, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And again, when you confess, that's your repentance, which brings salvation and healing. Remember our HRS here? Healing, repentance, salvation. So this is something that is going to have to be ongoing is what I'm getting at. Just like every single day, you when Hashem brings our soul back to us and allows us to be awakened for another day, what do we do? Uh, we have to get dressed. Uh, some of us have a bit of an aroma, so we have to clean ourselves, showering, you know. Uh, we have to brush our teeth, wash our face, 
you know, wash our hands, put on clothes. Okay, we do this all the time, right? It works the same way in the spiritual world. You have to put on salvation anew every day. That's why Paul writes, take off the old, put on the new. So we have to we have to keep changing every single day. Every single day we have to grow. Romans 12 says we're living sacrifices. Every single day we have to bring ourselves back before God. And that happens through our confession, our repentance. So the moment we realize we've done something wrong, that should be a a stop. Oh my goodness. Why did I do that? I'm sorry. You know, please help me not to do that again. Help me grow from this, learn from this so that I can not I can change my ways. Because repentance, which by the way is what we call teshuva in Hebrew, it literally means to return to your point of origin. Which, by the way, all of us are from God. Like, God puts our souls into us, and our souls come from him. So, when we say repent in Hebrew, which is teshuva, that literally means go back to how you were originally attached to God. Which is yearning for him, loving him, wanting to be with him, wanting to please him, wanting to serve him, fearing him. You know, all of these different things. That's literally our natural place. And so many times we think, oh, there are people who don't know God and there's people who are far from God. When it's like, no, every human being that exists and that has ever existed and that will ever exist, our souls came from God. So everybody knows God. And to say we don't is to downplay that fact. It's literally to deny yourself. This is why thinking, okay, we got to go out and make a bunch of Christians in the world is a problem, which is why if you look at from the start of Christianity to today, what a horrible downward spiral it has been. How much more has the entire world experienced darkness, chaos, frustration, atheists, all that kind of stuff because of Christianity? Because of Christianity, no one really knows how to read the Bible. No one really knows that the scripture is the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. No one really knows that the New Testament is actually a repeat of what's in the oral Torah. Like, because of Christianity, that's the current status we're in. Because of Christianity, it's like, no one needs to be Jews, everybody needs to be Christians. We need to get away from the law of God. We need to get away from all that Jewish stuff. We need to think like Romans. And if you see how well that worked out, right? Cuz cuz the Romans are totally not not about God, you know. They don't want a temple. You know, what they teach about the Messiah is something completely different. They changed his name for crying out loud. They don't want to call him Yeshua. That's how a Roman thinks. Uh the law of Moses? Oh, don't even get started with that. Because the law of Moses is only called the law of Moses because he's the only one who saw clearly every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the word of, out of the mouth of the father. Moses, this one time went into heaven like three or four times at least and came back and he had a hundred percent clarity on the word of God. Yeah, I know, I know that's weird, right? And it says Moses is the most trusted of God's household. 
Never will another prophet raise like him. There's no greater prophet than Moses. I mean, so what are we talking about? So God is saying to us, or Sleek Eye, the commentary on the law of Moses from Judaism says, the reason it's called the law of Moses is because when God entrusted the Torah to Moses to bring it down from heaven to earth, that it's transmitted 100% verbatim from Hashem through Moses. So really, when we're saying the law of Moses, we're actually saying the law of God. But it can be called the law of Moses because he transmitted it to us without any flaw whatsoever. He gave us completely everything that God said. This is why it's important for us to know that in Exodus, when we were at Mount Sinai and God was speaking to us, we said, stop. That's enough. We can't hear this anymore. Moses, you go talk to Hashem. Go get the rest of what God wants to tell us. And then you let us know and then we'll do it. That's how it literally went down. So Moses literally gave us the rest of what God said. So hence it's called the law of Moses because of that fact. So there's a whole lot into that. So anyway, all of that is a say law. But yes, we need to understand first John chapter one, verses eight through 10 about this confessing and being forgiven of sin. All right. So back to our verse. So the roof is lower, the opened up, the, the mat is lowered, the paralyzed man there, Yeshua sees the faith and he's like, son, sleek eye, your sins are forgiven. Now, remember Deuteronomy chapter 14 talks about who are the children of God. The children of God are the ones who are obedient to the commandments. So the Messiah calling him son, he's saying you're obedient to the commandments. You're, you're doing a confession right now. You're asking for forgiveness. You're repenting. You need salvation. I'm giving it to you and I'm going to give it to you by saying these things. First, I'm going to call you son. Okay, and if you're called son, then that means you're a new creation. That means you've been healed. That means you've been set free. You've been redeemed. You've been saved. You're at a place of confession. Because before this guy speaks, remember, God knows what we need before we ask, right? So Messiah is already understanding, okay, this guy is, he's repentant. He just wants to confess. He, If he gets the opportunity, he'll speak up, you know, da, 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 all of that. The full scope of what we're talking about right now. So Messiah just cuts right to the point. He says, Benny, which is my son, Slakti, okay, or Slak Lecha, which is how you say you are forgiven. So that's like literally two to three words tops. Benny, Slakti, or Benny, Slak Lecha, okay? My son or son, I forgive you. All right. That's a very boom. There's a whole lot in that phrase. So what happens when that happens? It says, but some of the Torah scholars were sitting there. When you see Torah scholars, that means people who know the oral Torah. Now, at this point, there wasn't any like written oral Torah stuff. We have oral Torah now written down. It's called the Talmud. It's called the Midrash. It's called the Humash, the Tanakh. It's got all this commentary in it. But back during this point, it was all memorized. That's why Yeshua always said, you've heard it said, 
da-da-da-da-da, but I tell you, da-da-da-da-da. And when he says it is written, he's speaking to, okay, as it is written in the Torah, because there is what's called a Torah scroll. The first five books of the Torah are written in Hebrew, and they're put into a scroll, and that's what it always is referenced to when it says, as it is written. Okay? So all of that, and it goes on to say that the Torah scholars were sitting there because they know what's going on. So they're they're questioning in their hearts. So they're not even speaking. They got heart activity going on, and Yeshua can see it, just like he saw the four friends of this one paralyzed guy. He also saw the paralyzed guy. He saw the inner workings before they even said anything. That's why no one has spoken at this point. The only person who actually said something is Yeshua. <laughs> All right? So... Say law on that because, again, Messiah is not just a mere man. Like he is, again, the name of Hashem, the word of God, the spirit of God made flesh. We're talking about something outside of of being a human being. Now he's in the form and in the likeness of man. But how can he see the inner workings? He can hear the thoughts. He can hear the the discernments of the heart. Because remember, in Hebrews chapter 4, what, it is, what does it say about the Word of God? What does it say about the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4? Specifically in verse 12. For the Word of God, which by the way is the name of God, it's the Spirit of God, it's the Torah, it's also the Messiah. Just to name a few things. You can throw Shekinah in there if you want to as well. The Aleph and the Tav commonly called Alpha and Omega. That's all synonymous. Says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing right through to a separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Oh, yeah. And this, this little small thing. Able to judge the thoughts, the intentions of the heart. What's going on here? Torah scholars are questioning in their hearts. And Messiah's like, oh, I see what's going on. Let me judge this real quick. So what does the Messiah say? Well, first they say this. So the inner workings of their hearts going on. Messiah sees that. They say, why does this fellow speak like this? He blasphemes. Who can pardon sins but God alone? All right. So, immediately Yeshua, knowing in his spirit that they were raising questions this way within themselves. Again, he he's like, all right, I see what's going on. I pierce through to the joints and the marrow, the soul and spirit, and the inner workings of the heart. Okay, because I'm the word of God, you know. So, this is what he says. Why are you questioning these things in your heart? So I know you just spoke something, right? But more than what you spoke is actually what's going on in your heart. And I want to talk to that. Which again, Levi Yahoo pointing this whole passage out to me just off the insight about healing and repentance and all that is crazy because the Messiah is speaking to the heart. He's He's so far beyond the external workings, like the way you look or the way that your expressions are on your face or the words you're saying. It's like, no. What's going on in your heart? 
like before your lips open, before your brain articulates, like that overflow of the heart that's going on. That's where the Messiah is like. He's right there. He's like, let's deal with that. Because if we can deal with that, everything else will fall into place. If you change, if you have a new heart, all the externals will work themselves out over time. A person with a new heart, it's really hard for them to walk as a wicked person, a very lewd and uh, just, you know, spiritually unkempt person, so to speak. So anyway, Messiah speaking to the heart, which is what the word of God always does, by the way. It's why the word of God written on our heart, the law written on our heart from Jeremiah, which is, by the way, what's called the renewal of the covenant. Many people call it the New Testament, but it's actually the new renewal of the covenant because the word new means to renew. Like we talk about repurposing, restoring things and all that. That comes from the understanding of the word Hadash, which means renew. We literally say uh, every about 29, 30 days or so is called the new moon. Well, if you think about that for a second. It's the same moon. It's just gone through a whole phase and now it's back again. So anyway, renewal. And it goes on to say, why are you questioning these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, which means if, if the paralyzed person is forgiven of their sins, that's actually going to bring about a physical healing. Because what we're going to find out in from Jewish commentary on the Torah portion of Naso from the book of Numbers, that the, the spiritual healing, which happens through repentance, confession of sin and forgiveness, all of that, that actually brings about a physical healing. Because we have spiritual body parts that correspond to our physical body parts. And when we repent, we bring healing to the spiritual body parts, which actually bring healing to the physical body parts. So that's really that statement that I just made right now about your spiritual body parts being healed because of repentance, which will bring healing to your physical body parts. Uh, that's really the, the whole sum of this podcast. So I could really end right here, but I'm not. Fake ending. All right, here we go. Continuing. It says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, which, by the way, is a whole nother phrase. It's like uh, Kuma, which means arise, uh, and take uh, and the word for your mat. I don't know that word in Hebrew yet. <laughs> and walk. Veholek. Uh, so. Hebrew word for your mat, veholek. And it's like, okay, that's a that's a mouthful to say all that. Versus ben shalakti, or yeah, ben shalakti, ben I forgive you, son I forgive you, shalaklekha, I forgive you. So it's just kind of like, wow. So anyway, it's like, okay, so is it easier to say all that? Now, this is on multiple levels. Like, is it easier just literally because how many words do you have to really say? Or if you understand the implications of being forgiven, that's your healing. 
your healing comes through being forgiven and your repentance and your confession. Like when you do all that, there we go. But if you want to talk about being physically healed, it's like, all right, so let's heal your legs by looking at what corresponds spiritually to legs. Let's deal with those things and then let's rectify that. And then let's talk about, you know, how you're going to change your ways and start doing the, the spiritual healing on your spiritual legs so that your physical legs can be healed. Like if you really, I mean, it's like, okay, let's go through the gamut of all that versus your sins are forgiven. Boom, we're done. Because, <laughs> again, Messiah already knows what this guy needs. He needs healing in his legs. He's paralyzed. You know, spinal cord, all that stuff. And there are commandments that correspond to the back and to the legs. Everything that would cause paralysis in your physicality. There's the spiritual, the spiritual limbs, spiritual body parts that repentance will heal that and bring the physical healing. And so Messiah is like, I'm the one who helps you with repentance. Because again, the hay is all about helping us repent. The right arm of God is reached out to us, stretched out to us to bring sinners back to God and repentance. We'll read about that in just a second. But anyway, the Messiah is expressing all of this stuff that's in commentary. He's just expressing it out in a very physical way for us to see. So we're looking at the easy picture, and then we're going to get into the nuts and bolts. So going on, it says, he says to get up, take up your mat and walk. So, but so that you may know the son of man has authority to pardon sins on earth. Remember, there are two hays in God's name. There's a heavenly hay and a lower world hay, which is this world. So Messiah is like, okay, remember there are two hays and, you know, I existed in the heavenlies before I existed here on earth. But so did she know the same thing I've been doing in the heavenlies, i.e. sitting at the right hand of the father, constantly interceding for us. Uh, I can also do that here on earth. I can be the right hand of the father who intercedes for you and do that right here on earth, just like I did in heaven, just like I will do and always will do. So there's all that. And going on, it says that he tells the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. So Messiah's like, you know what? I'm just going to unload the whole thing. It's, it was easier for me to just say, son, your sins are forgiven, but I'm going to let you know a lot of information all at once. So I say, get up, take up your mat and go. And I remember the Messiah, when he speaks, he does not speak of his own account. He only speaks with the authority of the one who sent him, which is his father. So when he says, I say, is it really him per se saying it? Or is it Hashem himself saying it? The answer is yes. Because again, the Messiah is not going to speak nothing apart from his father. So if you think about what that really means, because how hard is it for us to really stick to the story if somebody tells us something that we need to tell somebody else? Think about that for a second. You you want to deviate just a little bit, you know, or you naturally do. You know, I know I do. I'm just kind of like, I'm going to simplify this message, you know, but the Messiah is like, nope, exactly how Hashem says it is exactly how I'm going to say it. 
Why? Because the Messiah is the voice of Hashem. Remember that voice that spoke from the cloud between the two angels that are on the top of the ark? That literally is the Messiah. In Numbers chapter 12, let me read you something. I'm telling you, Numbers, the book of Numbers, like all these Torah portions in that book are like among my favorite things. But anyway, Numbers chapter 12, verse 8 says, I speak with him face to face. God is talking here. God is saying, I speak with Moses face to face, plainly, not in riddles. He even looks at the form of Hashem. Now, remember in Colossians, I don't know, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, what does it say? Or seek out 115. He is the image, i.e. the form of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the Mashiach. So, the image of Hashem, the voice of Hashem, the appearance of Hashem, literally is the word of God the name of God, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Spirit of God, the Aleph and the Tav, the Shekinah, all of that, the right hand of God, which is outstretched for us to save us. So when we're literally professing or confessing that we believe in Yeshua, we're saying, God, we believe that you are the one who saves us. And I know that's got to be so crazy. It's like, what did you just say? Who's putting foil in the microwave? Okay, but that literally is what that means. It's the right hand of God that saves us. So now without further ado, let me go to that because in the Talmud, Minakot 29b, I'm going to skip to the good stuff. It says this. I would say then that this world was created with a hay and the world to come was created with a yod. And why was this world created with the letter hay? Because it the hay resembles a pavilion, i.e. it is open underneath and a person who wishes to walk out of a pavilion may do so easily. Similarly, in this world, man is given free will so that if anyone wishes to leave virtue behind and indulge in sinful behavior, he can leave. Footnote says the fundamental feature of this world that distinguishes it from all else is man's freedom to choose between good and evil. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says, I set before you life and death, choose life. So we have a choice. It's only in this world that we have a choice in the world to come, which is like afterlife resurrection stuff. You know, some resurrected to life, some resurrected to punishment, uh, judge, uh, judgment and torture and all that. Resurrected to shame, for lack of better terms. Uh, yeah, there's no choice in that. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is concealed. Everything is known. You know fully even as you're known. That's the world to come. Right now, you can pretend like God doesn't exist. You can pretend like science rules and God is whatever and the Bible is just a bunch of made up stuff. You can think that way in this world because while you have free will in this world is made with the letter hey, you're allowed to do what you want to do. So, going on it says 
And what is the reason the left leg of the hay is suspended? A space is left between the left leg and the roof so that if he returns in repentance, they can bring him back through that opening. The paralyzed man who is unable to do for himself is assisted by four individuals to bring him through the roof to the Messiah because this guy is ready to repent. Messiah saw that and that's why he said your sins are forgiven. Yeshua didn't focus on the guy being healed. He said you need to be forgiven of your sins because why when you're forgiven of your sins that brings healing. So footnote on this whole section of Menachot 29b says a person should not think that once he has left the Torah behind, he cannot go back. As Acher, who is a, a person's name, he's a Tana, which means a repeater. These are people who were around the first and second century uh, as far as teachers and repeaters of the law, the Torah, and all that, handed down teachings. Basically, they were around the same time frame as the Messiah and his apostles the Talmudim, all that, the disciples. That's called the Tanaic period. I did a, a whole drop on that uh, in the Boomy Bar series. Or uh, I did a whole uh, section of that in Boomy Bar, that episode of my podcast. So anyway, so I won't go back into that. But anyway, continuing on, it says, says what? It says... Acher, who is a Tana, he turned to evil ways. He thought, okay, so Acher thought, I left the Torah behind. I went into evil ways. There's no way for me to get back. If you want more on that, you can read Hagiga 15a. It's a beautiful story. I would have loved to put that in this podcast, but obviously I'm living up to the name of HRS. And, you know, you can only have so many hours, right? Anyway, so it says, rather, a sinner should know. A person who is a sinner should know this. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Now, it doesn't say that in there, but if you really listen to what this says, because I'm going to repeat that after I read this, check this out. What should a sinner know? They should know that if they wish to return, even from a different side, the opportunity lies before him. That is from the Maharsha. Ben Yehoida says, Ben Yehoyada, there we go, Ben Yehoyada explains that this is the meaning of the verse Song of Songs 5-4. My beloved sent forth his hand from the portal and my innards churned with longing for him. The Holy One, blessed is he, i.e. Hashem, sent forth his right hand, i.e. Mashiach, Yeshua, the Word of God, and it says, which is always outstretched to accept those who repent from the portal. What is this portal that they're talking about? This is the opening, the small opening, i.e. the eye of a needle, 
which is the opening in the side of the hay, which is near the roof. Where did the friends of the paralyzed man dig through? They dug through the roof, made a small opening, brought the friend in through there, i.e. the way of repentance. So to finish, it says, as a result of his reaching out to me, my insides churned with longing to return, i.e. to make teshuva, to repent to him. Because remember, as we draw near to the Messiah, that's us drawing near to Hashem, which is making teshuva, which is returning back to where our souls came from. So wait a minute. Our souls come from the word of God. Our souls come from the spirit of God. Our soul comes from the right hand of God. Our soul comes from God himself. That's how that whole chain, if you keep working your way up, you get all the way back to Hashem. So the way is open. There's an opportunity. We can come back if we have sinned. Then what do we read in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10? If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What does that look like? His right hand outstretched to save us. But we have to be people who confess. We have to be people who want to turn away from our sin in order for that right arm to be stretched out to us to bring us back. So to finish, which is going to be a long finish, but here we go. Zohar Naso 4 section 37 says the two letters Yod and Hey awaken man to Torah and precepts. The next letter of Hashem's name is the letter Vav. It says Vav is the hidden meaning of the Torah. The next letter of Hashem's name is Hey, and this is the precepts. So the Yod and Hey awaken us to the Vav and Hey. So literally Hashem, the name that's above all the names, Adonai, the Lord God, the name that's given to the Messiah, to the Torah. The first part of that name awakens us to the second part. So literally we take these four letters and they unify when we confess, when we repent, when we receive salvation. The name of God is now made whole and we take that up on ourselves. This is important because in the Jewish prayer book, which is called a Siddur, we say this, I don't know, it's a little prayer we say, and it's just a small thing. It says this right here. For the sake of the unification of the Holy One, blessed is he and his presence. We're going to unify God in his presence, like his image, like the, the image of the invisible God. We're going to unify the image with the Father. We're going to unify the Father and the Son. So for the sake of the unification of the Holy One, blessed be he and his presence in fear and love to unify the name yod Hey with vav Hey in perfect unity in the name of all Yisrael. 
Well, what does that mean? It says in the footnote, this preliminary formulation serves two purposes. It is a statement of intent. Our intention is like probably one of the most powerful things that we have. Quantum physics and all that kind of stuff gets into what our intention does. It goes before us. It can change the whole atmosphere of a room. It's ridiculous. There is another Avenger whose name is Geulat Shlita. He has a whole book about that, and it's amazing. So I don't know when it's going to come out, but it's it's beautiful. But anyway, intent, getting off the rabbit trail now, back to what this says. Ten is, intention is very powerful, and you need that, by the way, when you pray and repent and stuff. So this is a statement of intent that the act about to be performed is to fulfill the Torah's commandment. So, Slika, we're about to fulfill a commandment, which, by the way, repentance is not really a commandment, but confession is. Confession is a commandment. We just read it in Numbers chapter 5. Okay, so we're to confess our sins. That's the commandment. So we need to have an intention on that. And when we have that intention, we bring unity to the name of God, as we just read in the Zohar. It says that, the second purpose of this statement is indicated by the mystical references. This is a prayer that the Kabbalistic spiritual qualities of the commandment be realized. So that's fancy saying for everything that's about to go down in this commandment, everything that we can't see, may you, Hashem, by your mercy, give us the ability to to comprehend it to realize what's going on help us basically accomplish what we're trying to accomplish i.e send forth your right hand rescue us and save us help us actually to be, repent help us actually to confess in and of myself Hashem I can't do it I need you to help me that's what this whole thing is talking about so it says that Make that realized. Some authorities omit the sentence beginning with for the sake of the unification. And they start the supplication from Hareni, which is Hareni. Where is Hareni at? Don't hide from me, Harini. Um, there it is. I am ready. So, like, I am ready to do this. So, as opposed to saying, all right, here's my intention. It's like, nope, skip the intention. I'm ready to do this. All right. So, going on, it says, others omit the entire prayer. But all agree one should have intent to fulfill the mitzvah. To unify the name says the first half of the divine name formed of the letters Yod and Hey symbolize the attribute of judgment. While the second half formed of the Vav and the Hey symbolize the attribute of mercy. So we're going to take judgment and mercy and remember mercy overcomes judgment, right? That's the Vav and the Hey, which by the way, relates to the Torah and the precepts. 
That's called the mercy of Hashem, the Torah and the precepts. Side note, many people think the Torah is strict justice and judgment. It's going to kill us and it's going to destroy us. And it's like, actually, the Torah is literally the mercy of God. That's why the Torah teaches us how to please God. So I says without holiness, it's impossible to please God because, oh, there's a section of the Torah that's called Kedoshim. And it teaches us about walking in the commandments, which is the holiness of God, which sanctifies us and sets us apart from those who sin and we walk in life and truth and stuff. But anyway, I digress. The blend of both attributes leads to his desired goal for creation. Mercy and judgment have to be balanced. Okay, and it says, since these letters form the sacred four-letter name that is not to be uttered as it is spelled, and since many commentators maintain that this prohibition extends even to uttering the four letters of the name consecutively. Notice that's why I say Yod and Hey and Vav and Hey, as opposed to just saying each letter straight out. Because you don't want to do consecutive. Okay, again, this is all about preserving, sanctifying God's name, being respectful to it and all that, which is kind of a lost thing today. People don't see, oh, we need to respect God's name. It's like, oh, I'm just going to call him whatever I want. Anyway, goes on to say that, and since many commentators explain or maintain that this prohibits to extending the letters or extends to uttering the letters consecutively, the commonly used pronunciation of these letters and the name of this prayer is Yud K Bevavk. So to preserve it even more, you can say Yud K Bevavk which takes you completely away from uttering God's letters or uttering the letters of God's name. So unifying the name now going on, cause I, I'm going to get into the, the body parts, but I'm going to go ahead and just read this. It's already in the Sidur. It says my 248 organs and my 365 sinews do the math real quick. 248 plus 365 equals 613. 613 just so happens to be the total number of commandments found in the Torah. The first five books of the Bible consist of 613 commandments. Anyway, the sages. Okay, hold up. <laughs> On top of that, when you look at the human body, we have 248 limbs and 365 sinews. So that means the the body parts plus the attachments that are all throughout our body to keep us all together. You put that all together, it equals 613, which just so happens to be the number of commandments in the Bible. So we talk about being made in the image of God, which is the word of God. And the word of God consists of 613. The human body consists of 613. It's just like, oh, okay. So it says the sages computation of the important organs, 248 is equal to the number of positive commandments, while 365 sinews is equal to the number of negative commandments. This symbolizes the principle that man was created to perform God's will. You may have heard it said we were created for the glory of Hashem. 
well, what does that actually mean? Oh, we just read it. It means to perform God's will. What is God's will? It's the Torah. Many people won't tell you that, but you heard it here. It says the total number of sinews and organs in man and the total number of divine commandments are each 613, a number symbolized by the commandment of Zitzit, which is, by the way, the hem of the garment, the what people call, oh, what's those strings hanging out of the side of your clothes? What's those tassels? Is that your prayer tassels? Is that your prayer cloth? Those called Zitzit, Numbers chapter 15. This is all about 613 because Zitzit has the numerical value of 613 because Zitzit, that actual word, equals 600 as the numerical value. And it says the five knots and the eight threads of each fringe, which is each corner, make up the other 13. Thus, by wrapping ourselves in the talit, which is the name of the garment, where the Zitzit are on, we dedicate ourselves totally to the task of serving God. Additionally, as mentioned later in the prayer, the talit represents the concept that God protects those who serve him. Did we not just read about the hay being a covering and protecting us? And then we talk about healing and being surrounded by the right arm of God. So now back to the Zohar Naso 4, section 37. The yod is awe, which is over a man's head, where the awe goes into a man's heart to fear Hashem. So we take love, and that goes in, or we, we take the awe of God that goes into our heart, and it causes us to fear the Holy One. And it causes us to guard ourselves, not to transgress the negative commandments. The hay is over a person's head. So we have fear and awe over us first with the yod. Now, on top of that, we take the hay. This is, by the way, why Jews wear head coverings. So the kippa, the yarmulke, the any kind of head covering you see a, a Jewish person wear, male and female included. The female Jew wears a head covering if she's married. So anyway, other than that, just want to throw that out there. Extra information. Okay, so the hay is love. So now we have fear first, and then we have love, which is represented by the letter Yod, now the letter hay. Yod is the fear, hay is the love. So got the love over a person's head, now the love of the Holy One, blessed be he, is imbued upon our 248 body parts. So the yod is going to correspond to our attachments, our ligaments, our sinews. The hay is going to correspond in love to our body parts, which we perform the commandments with. And it says the vav of the yod and hay and the vav and hay, from which aspect dwells the illumination of the spirit to the spirit of man rest over our head so now with the fear and love of god now you're going to have the spirit of god saturate you which is the vav which is represented by the torah so the torah of god the letter vav and the spirit of god that's how you they're all related right there so the torah of god and the spirit of god the vav 
the IE, the Messiah, that right there is illumination. So how do we, how do we see, how do we look into the word of God and see what it says? We have that illumination. So then it goes on to say, this rests over a man's head and through it, words enter his mouth with which to learn Torah. This is why when you read from the Torah and you study commentary on the Torah, you're actually to, to speak it. You study out loud. You say what you're reading. And that brings illumination. So if you're in fear and love with the spirit of God saturating you, you speak forth the truth of God. Commonly known as prophesying. Not to be confused with being a prophet. Many people can prophesy if, the, if they're filled with the spirit of God. But just because you prophesy doesn't mean you're a prophet. Again, that's another topic for another time. <laughs> but just know that. Anyway, going on to say that this is Malkut, which is a fancy word that says kingdom. This is the kingdom, which is the secret of the soul of the spirit called words. So the soul of the words that we speak, it says this is that final hey of the four letter name of Hashem. So put it all together. You got the fear, you have the love, the illumination of the spirit, which causes you to speak. And inside those words is the, the soul of the spirit. So again, we talked about confessing with your mouth, having faith, receiving salvation, all of that, right? So the power in our words activate this permeation of the spirit of God within us it says thus, the yod and hay and the vav and hay is made complete. So we enter into the kingdom of God through fear, love, expressing with our mouth the confession of that which is on our heart. And we are encapsulated by the name of Hashem, which is the Messiah, which is being in the Messiah, which is receiving salvation, which will bring healing to us because from Lakute Torah on Parashah Naso, the sages in Makot 23b state that the 248 positive commands, 365 negative commands, correspond to the 248 limbs and the 365 new sinews found in the body. The same way the body contains these 613 parts, so too the soul contains 248 limbs and 365 sinews for a total of 613 soul powers so your soul's body is literally called soul power so your power and your ability to operate in holiness and, and live for god gets activated okay you can use this power for good or you can use this power for bad many people use it for bad when you see them indulging in sin. So we have power to do righteousness or we have power to sin. It depends on what we want to do with our, with the, the soul that we have. So your soul gives you the power for life or death. Basically Deuteronomy 30. I said before you life and death, choose life. God's like, use your power for good with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, God was originally the one who said that. 
anyway. But we wouldn't know that if Moses didn't tell us. God would probably chosen somebody else, obviously, because God's going to get said what needs to get said. But Moses was the one who was able to transmit that to us. Again, law of Moses. Okay. So we have the soul powers, which is body parts that correspond to our physical body parts. So it says each mitzvah, which is a commandment, which, by the way, the word mitzvah literally means connection. So we connect to God through the commandments. So the more commandments we do, the more connections to God we have. So each connection, each mitzvah, each commandment, one performs and each command that one observes helps create and preserve the spiritual health of that corresponding limb. However, one who transgresses a command blemishes that corresponding limb of his soul. So the paralyzed person has some super blemishing going on and it's something to do with legs and something to do with the back. Now, obviously you can get really crazy with that information and be like, Oh, he was a, just a horrible sinner. He probably kicked people. He probably, you know, stabbed people in the back. You know, he probably broke people's back. You know, who knows? But that's where the story of, uh, John chapter nine comes in where the disciples are like, rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he should be born blind like this guy has uh blindness so he must have done something or if he didn't do something his parents did something with their eyes that they should not have done what's yeshua's answer neither this man because because you know that could have been okay if it wasn't his parents then what about him yeshua again cuts right to the point he gets right to the heart of things because that's what the word of god does neither this man nor his parents sin this happened so that the works of God might be brought to light in him. Side note, the eyes are called the lamp of the body. So Yeshua's like, I'm going to light him up. I'm going to fix his eyes. So anyway, Messiah's like, it's not because the guy sinned that he has these blemishes. So again, I want to bring that up because as we're reading this from Jewish literature, from Talmud, Midrash, all this kind of stuff. We need to understand, okay, it is true that you have physical body parts that correspond to your spiritual body parts. And if when you sin, however you sin to whatever that corresponds to, you can blemish that and you can injure yourself. So, you know, that corresponds to something you did. Okay, yeah, that is true. But just remember, there's also more to the story. Sometimes God has this this. Uh, chance and this opportunity that he needs to show his glory for like he did with this blind man it's like the guy didn't sin with his eyes his parents didn't sin with their eyes the guy's blind so i can heal him so that you can have further testimony to the truth that i am the right hand of god that's outstretched to save sinners so anyway just a, a don't get crazy uh disclaimer that i'm throwing out here um, as one comedic sketch says, welcome to King Burger, where you can have it your way, but don't get crazy. Anyway, so goes on to say that 
However, one who transgresses a command blemishes that corresponding limb of his soul. The power of teshuva, the power of repentance, which comes with confession, by the way, is that it has the ability to rehabilitate the damaged spiritual limb. You ever wonder why they have superheroes that have regeneration and they can heal themselves and all that kind of stuff like the Hulk, like Wolverine, to name a few people? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. That literally is a superpower of your soul when you make Teshuva. When you repent, you literally spiritually regenerate. So again, talk about being made a new creation. Because <laughs> when you repent, you bring about a renewal to your soul, to your spirit, and your physical being gets changed. This is why when you truly repent, there's change in your physical actions. If you repent of being a sinner, you refrain from transgressing in that which you repented for. Now you may sin in something else and now you got to go confess and repent in that. So literally what our life should culminate in. I mean, obviously it's going to take a lot of work <laughs> like the friends of the paralyzed man. Like you got to get on top of that roof and you got to dig, got to get in it. But uh, yeah, so our whole life, we can literally build up our inner man, you know, and bring about physical healing. Ultimately, this is what the resurrection is. The resurrection is like, boom, done, got it. And then we're going to keep growing from there. The way that we're decaying now in our outward body is the way that we're going to be renewed in our outward body in time to come. That's why we're going to get a brand new body. Anyway, we had that in the garden, but we decided we like fruit. So here we are. Uh, goes on to say, this power is given because Teshuva touches upon the essence of the soul and elicits from it a new vitality for the damaged limb. This is why, according to some approaches, Teshuva is not listed as a mitzvah being that the listed mitzvot each correspond to a specific limb of the soul while teshuva corresponds to the essence of the soul. So the commandments correspond to limbs, teshuva corresponds to everything, which is why if you make teshuva, your whole body is renewed, like you become a new creation. Create a new and upright spirit within me. Yeah, like the whole thing, that's teshuva, that's repentance. Which comes again through confession, forgiveness of sin. And then when you confess forgiveness of sin, right hand stretched out for you, brings you in, pulls you close to God. And it's like, all right, I heal you. I.e., your sins are forgiven. And the guy picks up his mat and he walks. <laughs> okay. This also explains why, according to some opinions, Teshuvah is not a mitzvah at all. As for something to come from the essence of the soul, it must come on its own initiative and not due to a command and the like. So basically it's saying, so, okay, so if Teshuva is not a mitzvah, that means it doesn't correspond to your spiritual body. It's the totality of your spiritual body, which means it has to come from its own initiative, i.e., Hashem put this in us. Oh, goodness. Thank you, Hashem. This is exactly what 
This is exactly what Romans 10 just said. So Baruch Hashem, blessed be the name of Hashem for a beautiful bookend on this podcast. Because what does it say? It says, um, verse, uh, Romans 10 verse eight. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. So Teshuva is in us. So it, it, I want to keep with the verbatim here. It says that the essence of the soul must come on its own initiative. So this Teshuva has to come on its own initiative. That's why we have to understand that Teshuva is already in us. We just need to do it. And so we don't have a commandment to repent. We have a command to confess. And again, Messiah says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's just like, listen, because by the way, that's redemption talk. That's like final redemption, resurrection of the dead, return of Messiah, you know, new heavens, new earth stuff. So when he's saying that, he's like, listen, that which is in you, bring that out. Return to God. And when you return to God, that's through confession. That's how you're going to be saved. This is why the whole message of the Messiah coming to bring salvation to us is so like, so distorted and it's like we need to be repenting you know we need to be returning to god and we have to do that through our confessions and being forgiven of sin and then god causes the right hand to be sent forth to save us but the right hand is not sent forth to save us if if we're just going to indulge in sin so messiah's like look time's up for that we need to quit pretending like we don't need to repent and quit pretending like we don't need to live for god and stuff it's time for the new heavens and the new earth to take place. So repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Newness is about to happen. We're currently in the world of hay. The world of Yod is about to take place. When the world of Yod takes place, that's it. There's no more falling out of the bottom and, and then being like, oh, I turned away from God. And maybe I want to come back. Maybe I don't. Okay. Your free will choice, that's going to be over soon. So just repent now because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's how that all flows and ties in together. I am officially blue screened on blue screen while blue screen trying to talk blue screen. And this is a lot of information. So that's where I want to leave it. And again, this was just an expanded, like hours expanded <laughs> healing, repentance, salvation, HRS expanded from the conversation Levi Yahoo and I had. So I want to shout out to him for uh, being willing to listen and then allowing uh, Hashem to use him to speak words that encourage me, you know, back with what I'm learning. And I ultimately thank Hashem just for this opportunity to be able to do this. And with everything being in the season that it's in, we're almost to Shavuot. This is commentary from the Torah portion of Naso, which is technically next week's study, but we get a, a pre-taste of it now or a foretaste of it now. And uh, it's just, I'm grateful. So, Hakadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Please heal us. Please bring forth your kingdom on the earth. Please reveal the return of the Messiah, the resurrection of the dead, the building of the temple, the gathering in of the exiles, and bring our new bodies forth. In the merits and in the name of the Messiah, we ask and we pray.